Welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. On this episode, I'm joined by Adam Brand, a fourth-generation co-owner of M&S Schmelberg, the flower makers in New York. M&S Schmelberg were founded in 1916 and are the last remaining manufacturer of artificial flowers in the New York City garment district. They use the same vintage manufacturing processes as when the company was founded, and they provide exquisite quality and a level of artisanal customization that's not that easy to come by anymore. Some of the vintage flower molds date back to the turn of the century, and their studio is amazing. It's like going back in time to when personal customer service was at the forefront of any artisanal company. Aside from seeing thousands of amazing flowers, you can meet the makers, whose pride in their work is phenomenal, as is Adam's passion for what he does. Adam, welcome to the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast. Sean, thank you for having me. I'd like to start, as I always do, by asking you to tell us a little bit about you, what it is you do uh, for, well, for work and for pleasure. Well, in a personal sense, uh, my name is Adam Brand. I'm 39 years old. I grew up, uh, I live in New York and I grew up here. Uh, I grew up with a father, an aunt, grandparents, uh, my mom, all working in a family business, M&S Schmalberg Flowers in the garment district. I, I grew up and my dad was the flower man and he always, he always identified as that and talked about it, but I never really stopped to think about what it meant or how unique that really was. And uh, about 15 years ago, I, I decided to jump jump on board. I, I started really just by, I said to my dad one day while the business was not doing very well, I said, hey, maybe uh, maybe I come into work and see where I could go. You, you don't even have to pay me. You could really just pay for my train ticket. But I've been with the company ever since. It went from being something that... I remember 10, 12-ish years ago on a Sunday Sunday night, like kind of sort of dreading the work week. You know, you get those Sunday blues and Monday's coming. And it went from kind of being that to I, I love my life. I love my family. I love being home, but I also love being at work. And I don't exactly know when that happened, but, but it did, and I'm so grateful for it. So what is it that you do for work? So the company M&S Schmalberg is a century-plus-old manufacturer of artificial flowers. We make flowers in pretty much any material. Traditionally, it was always fashion. We would work with different designers, and they would bring us their fabrics, pick, pick different shapes and styles, and we would make hundreds or thousands of flowers. Uh, part of our evolution is that we don't just work with fashion designers anymore. We, we do a lot with hat makers, costume designers. We, we cater to individuals. Uh, we really make flowers for anybody who needs fabric flowers. There, there's not, our minimums are very low. We're very welcoming of anyone who walks through, through the doors. In terms of me personally, I, I wear many hats when I'm there. I am, I am the fourth generation, so technically I'm, I'm an owner. But, but I don't behave or act that way. Uh, a lot of the staff has been there lo- longer than me, and some of them have been there longer than I've been alive. So I, I have a tremendous respect for all of them. And, and we have a, you know, it's, it, like everyone says, that family atmosphere of where we are. Uh, many times I'm, I'm giving factory tours. Sometimes I'm in the back cutting something. A big part of my day has just been talking to clients, emailing, uh, I could be layering fabric. I, I Truly, every day is different than the last. Uh, when you walk into our studio, 
there, there's a showroom with bright lights and beautiful flowers all around you. It's a very welcoming, warm place. The staff is all super friendly and we all, I, I believe this, all genuinely enjoy what we do. Uh, the factory aspect of it or the process of making flowers includes a few steps. I'll go through them just really quickly. People bring us fabric. It could be, if it's a large order, it could be a roll of 100 yards of silk. If it's a smaller order, it could be a half a yard. If it's a specialty order, it could be a garment that's really important to you. Uh, it could be a shirt, a dress, a scarf, whatever it may be. And the first thing we do is we cut it into panels, uh, ideally about 40 inch square. If uh, that's not an option, we make the biggest pieces we can and we apply a fabric stiffener to it, a starch. And the purpose is to give it extra body so that it takes whatever shaping we're trying to do. We have a few different starches we work with. They're all natural. There's no weird chemicals in them. You let the fabric dry for a few hours. And once the fabric dries, we then layer it. And then we use our vintage dyes. They're basically cookie cutters, but heavier, sharper, with a lot more shapes. And we, we cut out the shapes. We take our molds, which are kind of like waffle irons, to do the pressing. And then finally, our staff will take these different petal shapes, mix and match, and assemble to create a rose, a carnation, camellia, or any other flower style. You could take two different shapes, like a small bud, a larger outer petal, and create a, a rose. Some flowers have three shapes, and like camellias, gardenias, uh, it's pretty much infinite what's possible. What's interesting about that is that it all smacks of everything being very hands-on and handmade. And is not dissimilar to something you'd find in one of the um, French embroidery companies, for example. I mean, it's really very much around handwork and around, you know, hours and hours of of craftsmanship. Would you agree with that description? Oh, absolutely. Everything we do is a tremendous amount of work. The more detailed it is, the more details go into it. And I, I also agree that our closest comp would be the French ateliers. There's no other factories or studios in New York doing quite what we do. I'm certain that there's plenty in China, but I've never been there. And I don't picture them being remotely like ours. I picture them being much more in the factory sense. Uh, but yeah, I've seen videos and pictures of some of the, the French the French studios, and they, they look, I don't want to say identical, but really close to what we do. And it's a tremendous amount of work. We, we have some flowers that could have seven, eight, nine shapes mixed together. Uh, there's one in particular we've done for years for Vera Wang that was sort of their creation. Uh, it was using the same vintage molds, but they... One of their designers came over and we worked together to create something totally new and unique. And the amount of go work that goes into making one of these flowers is comparable to making, and I'm just throwing a number out, but like 20 or 30 of something similar, a smaller, simpler. And uh, that's kind of our specialty is making these extreme, amazing new creations. What I find amazing about your companies that it's accessible and you often speak well when we've spoken you've spoken about you know it's kind of having 
it's having people just drop in and saying, oh, I'd like to have this made from my grandmother's wedding veil or can you make one flower from me from this, I don't know, towel I found on the beach last week. But it's that kind of, you know, it's very much hands-on. So, yes, absolutely. Uh, Every day when I walk to work, I pass uh, shops in the garment district that have signs that say wholesale only, uh, no no retail sales. And I I say this tongue-in-cheek, like I wish... I wish our business was thriving enough that we could just turn away half the population. Uh, we, we, we certainly don't have that luxury. Uh, if you go back in time, when I was a kid visiting everyone at work, there was twice the staff. And I would imagine most of what, probably all of what was going on was production orders for different fashion, costume or whatever designers. Uh, today, we live in a world where very little is made in the New York City garment district. This was once the thriving manufacturing capital of the world, and it's a shell of what it used to be. And so we have to adapt to that world. About 10 years ago, we started selling flowers on Etsy. We, we sell flowers on Amazon, and we very much op- open our doors to anyone who wants to walk in. Uh, every day I see somebody pop their head in the window and you could tell they're not sure if they're even allowed to be up there. And we, we, we say, come on in. And whether they simply want to look around or if they buy one or two flowers or a bunch more, it's all that stuff adds up. And I think a lot of it has to do with why we're still in business. We, yes, we need production orders to pay our bills. Our, our rent is New York rent. All the other fun expenses that go into keeping a business going. But the, the passion projects, the fun ones, are being able to repurpose something that's important to somebody. Uh, right around the time you came into our studio, it might have been the same day. I don't exactly remember. But there was a uh, father. I think, it, I think it was the same day. Not a father. There was a mother and uh, her son. And they brought in I, something that she wore. It was either her wedding dress or something like that. And we're making a bunch of flowers that are going to be used for his wedding. And just the, the graciousness that they had and the, the gratitude for what we were able to do, it just means so much. It's, so, it's just so cool. And it gives us such a, a buzz to be able to make something special like that. I got a, an email today from an 86-year-old woman who watched a Business Insider video of us and was so inspired and she has her mother's wedding dress so this is an old dress she i think she said it was from the 20s and she wants to send it to us to have us make long stem roses as a a way just to as a memory because what are you going to do with the dress otherwise it sits in a box in your attic just collecting dust and this is just a great way to create something really cool that you'll have hopefully forever and I wonder, you know, you're talking about um, companies abroad, well, outside of the US or certainly outside of the fashion district in New York that do um, similar types of work. I wonder if they give clients the same access to their studios that you would to yours, because I think it's that's quite unique. A lot of it has to do with my dad. He, when I started working 15 years ago, I remember him giving tours to local fashion students from uh, FIT and Parsons and the other schools 
And it was curious to me at first, and I realized very quickly that this was a big part of his outreach. He was, he was showing 20 potential future designers what we do. He was sometimes selling a couple flowers along the way. And you add up these groups of 10 people, 15 people, 20 people, even a group of two. And this adds up to thousands of people that have maybe bought flowers from our company, but at the very least know about our company over the years. And uh, I've seen my share of ups and downs. I, I've, I can still hear in my head my dad saying, like, standing at the cutting table and saying to me, Ad, we, we need work. There, there were no orders in house and or we we're finishing something up and we're just making flowers for the house, which just means we're going to make them, put them in boxes and hope they sell. And you can only do that so much before it becomes not a very good idea and counterproductive. And I remember that feeling and uh, we're, we have work right now. And, and I'm so grateful for that. And I want to do everything I can to keep that going. Mm -hmm. so tell us a little bit about the fashion district, because the fashion district in New York is quite famous. How's the fashion district changed in New York? Sure. So t today, our factory, our showroom is on 36th Street. We're at 242 West 36th Street between 7th and 8th Avenue. We've been here for about 20 years. Before that, we were on 7th Avenue, right around the block for about 10 years. And before that, we were right around the block from there on 35th Street, which is where we were forever. Uh, if you Google the garment district in the 1940s, I think if you just Google those words, a few pictures come up and there's a black and white picture showing 35th Street. And if you zoom in and look on the left side, you can actually see our old storefront. Uh, it's a really cool picture that we found by mistake. But uh, li literally anyone who's listening to this right now, if you just type into Google, I think garment district 1940s, it's one of the first pictures that comes up. Uh, and that picture is very helpful. I don't even, so I don't need to like paint the picture. You'll, you'll see these, these trucks. My dad calls them, used to call them mafia style, like just trucking companies. All the trucks have no uh, doors or anything on the sides. So it's like easy in, easy out. And it just shows you the, the vast scale of all the manufacturing that was going on at that time. In the picture, you could see rolls of fabric. You could see the push carts, garments going back and forth. The, the streets were alive. I, I remember when I was a kid, I wanted to visit my family at work, and I would get anxiety walking the streets because of how much foot traffic was going back and forth. People, you know, they're at work. They want to get the dresses to wherever they're going so they can be done with the delivery, and they don't have time or patience for, for a kid just standing there. Uh, when my dad would give these tours, he would always say, and this was his number, he would say 10 to 15. Uh, there used to be 10 to 15 flower guys in uh, New York City in the garment district. So that's, that's what I would always say. During the garment district heyday, there was 150 feather and flower manufacturers. It's a lot more than 10 to 15. And to me, I can't believe that there was at one point enough work to occupy that many factories. That's how the garment district has changed. Today, we're the last remaining factory that takes your fabric, turns it into flowers. When you walk the garment district, it has a completely different feel to it. Uh, there's certain areas that might feel a little sketchy. Uh, it doesn't have the same hustle bustle life to it. 
but there there are there are unicorns still hanging out, and uh, I'd like to think that we're one of them. Do you think that through I suppose this democratization of fashion, we've lost a lot of that kind of uniqueness in terms of centers of excellence? Oh, absolutely. Our, I, I'm obviously specialized in this particular field, but I think that you could, you could take that into a broader sense too. We, we've become this Amazon world. Uh, the term fast fashion, we hear that all the time. I, if you think about it this way, if, if you, uh, everybody is like all about handmade, knowing where things come, rah, rah, made in America, made in England, made, made in France and stuff. But when it comes down to it, people vote with their wallet. And uh, if you have a pair of jeans that somebody, some wonderful artist creates where he gets the cotton from the farm and he stitches each one by hand and then he takes... He takes each pair of jeans when he's done, he kisses them and he signs them and he loves what he does and they're $200. And then there's another pair of jeans that are $15. Uh, don't ask us where they came from. Who, which one are you going to buy? And I think so many people buy the lesser expensive ones. We live in a world where everyone wants everything fast. We don't care where it comes from. And we've lost a lot of the beauty, not just in fashion and flowers, but in, in everything. Um, interesting that you picked up on jeans because I mean, jeans have a, you know, they're a whole world unto their, unto themselves, you know, whether they salvage edged, whether they're made in Japan, whether the denim comes from Japan. I mean, I think people are willing to pay more for a label than they are for the product. A hundred percent. My, my dad growing up was always about craftsmanship. He he would so much prefer a beautiful leather bag made by somebody local who does the stitching and everything all by themselves and has a wonderful story versus the Chanel bag. Uh, that's the way I was always brought up. And it was so counter to how everything else in the world speaks to you. You know, you you grow up and you're kind of taught through the media and through everything that name that the name is such a big deal. Uh, there's there's flower factories. You know, we've talked about some of these French ateliers and some of the companies that buy from them. And there there's one very prominent one who's known for their camellias, and they make camellia flowers that are seven hundred dollars, a thousand dollars, more than that. And they're done using the same process as what we make. There's nothing different about it. And we sell camellias through our websites and online for $20, $30 each. Some of them might be $50. And that's kind of the upper end of it. And on one breath, you have people that are willing to spend that tremendous amount of money. And then you have the other people that are shocked that we would charge $20 a flower because they live in this world where everything should cost pennies and people don't really think about where things come from. I, I get one of my biggest frustrations is the, the feedback reviews that we'll get sometimes. And once in a while you'll hear somebody comment like that the flowers should, should, shouldn't cost more than a dollar or two. And uh, these people, in my opinion, just don't know better. 
They don't realize that we're buying fabric that might be $25 a yard, that we're making them in New York, not, not in China, not in Sri Lanka, not in wherever else they're making things. So it's, it's a very, it, it's tough to like, to work in that world and exist in that world. When you're talking about a company who's making camellias and charging $700, I mean, that's a, a, it's a common occurrence around um, luxury brands. And that's typically why I have a, a problem with luxury brands. And that's what I was saying earlier. Is it the, 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 the label you're buying or is it the product? Uh, some companies are known for actually producing high quality products that there's there's one particular brand that I only heard of recently and I at first thought that they were all flash and name and just selling a name but as I've learned more about them I've come to appreciate that they do make a high quality product but so much of all of it is I feel like they make these things expensive just for the sake of in some cases just for the sake of being expensive and protecting the brand when there's really no reason to do that I mean, that's why I'm so interested in these conversations. I'm very much of the view that we need to protect craftspeople and the work that they do, because more often than not, you know, the the detail of the making is lost because people don't pay attention. So your flower that is made by hand by the um, people in your studio, as opposed to something that's made on a production line in a factory setting, you know, often it's, you know, people will buy, you know, you're talking about people coming in and wanting, saying, why is this more than a dollar? It's more than a dollar because they don't actually pay attention. And that's, for me, what luxury is typically about. It's about paying attention. Yeah, people, exclusivity is a big part of luxury. Uh, it's not just having something nice, but I have it and you don't. Uh, I don't think that's a very nice mindset, but it's definitely prevalent. And how do you make that happen? You charge a crazy amount of money for something that most normal people wouldn't want to pay for. Uh, one of my big uh, things that I do, and I think it's one of the positives of social media, is that I'm able to display not just the process of what we do, but the people. I. I can introduce you to Miriam, who's been making flowers literally longer than I've been alive. I could introduce you to Alex, who's been working the die cutting machine and the flower presses for 35 years. And I think that this is so much a part of who we are. When I used to go to trade shows and try my best to sell, I would go there with flowers and people would walk by, they would see the flowers. They would think, oh, these are your flowers, you make these and whatever. They didn't really get it. We're not just flowers. We're the whole, the whole shebang. We are flowers out of your fabric. If you're a designer and you want flowers to match your dress, you could bring us your fabric. I know that seems so obvious, but like people don't get it. We have one client we've been working with for five years, and they, they've become a really good client. They haven't actually visited our space. We, I, even when they were in New York, I pushed them to, but they, for whatever reason, they're busy and they don't. And every once in a while, there's just a moment where they, they'll ask us a question and I, I want to rip my hair out. Like they'll ask me something, hey, I really like the red rose we made, but 
crazy question. Could you make it in green? And I'm like, <laughs> yes, that's what we do. And so, so much of everything that, that I'm about is spreading the message, not just that we make flowers, but how we do it, where we do it, who does it. It, so there's interesting. There, in, there are interest, some interesting things that you said. Firstly, is that luxury is about exclusivity, but I'm not. I'm not sure that it always is about exclusivity, and it's not always about who can who can afford it or not. Even though it's become that way, it depends on the person. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, but also you know you're talking about your the processes and I mean what you're talking about is is for me, um, and that's why I'm really interested in your work, is there's a, a traditional aspect to the way you make a product um, in that you've got a team who have been there for, for many years. Typically today that doesn't happen because people move from one thing to the other. It's like in the old days, yeah. even before I was born, and that's a long time ago, waiting was a profession. You know, somebody would be a waiter and they'd be a waiter for 50 or 60 years. That is what they would do. Um, the same as, you you know, you were talking about people in your um, workshop who have been there for 40 years. I mean, that's not so common anymore. And I think what interests me is that there's this community of, of workers who are very much in tune with this idea of crafting a product. but it's it's not necessarily about the money. Something you made me think about, and uh, I find it interesting, you've already made me think about a couple of things in different ways, like even calling ourselves a factory, which I always do, and not a studio or an atelier or something a different. workshop. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you're making me think of the word luxury too. Uh, for the first part of this this discussion, I was kind of treating the word luxury as exclusive products, expensive, I have it and you don't. But luxury could mean so much more. I, I think of a moment in time sitting with my daughter and my wife where we don't have to worry about all the craziness going on in the world and you don't have to watch the news and that moment of peace and happiness, that's a luxury. That might be more of a luxury than, than any of it. I, I think of... Uh, I think of being able to work in a place where I genuinely enjoy what I do and being around people that, that I genuinely like, that, that's a luxury as well. And so much, so much focus, maybe it's my own fault, my focus here, but so much focus of luxury is about product, expensive product. Like I said, I have it, you don't. And there, there really can be so much more to it. Uh, when you and I spoke, the first time I remember, I don't remember what led me to say it, but I said something along the lines of our product. Oh, I said like our flowers are the ultimate luxury and not because they're that great, but because they serve no purpose. They're beautiful, but that that's it. Like, But luxury is not about any, necessarily anything serving a purpose. Luxury is about an emotive or emotional response. Is there any more of a luxury than to not have to worry about food or shelter and to be so comfortable with all those things that you can go buy a flower just to feel good and look good? You know, when you think about somebody coming into your studio, atelier, workshop, 
you get a real you I mean you must get a sense of their kind of the how they respond to the work that you do so you know you might typically get I don't know some celebrity coming in saying oh I want a flower for this or you might get a designer coming in saying oh I want a flower for this collection or you might get you know the individual person coming in saying oh I want a flower for a wedding dress I mean do you get a sense that these customers come in and think of what you're doing as being a luxury product a hundred percent you made me think of something uh back when uh my dad used to work full-time uh I haven't said this yet but he's been retired about four or five years he's healthy doing well he's living in Florida uh, he used to keep a book of the things that people would say when they came into our factory because, and this is, I think, part of my growth and, and where I went from being somebody who had a job to something, somebody who had this legacy in this place that I really grew to love. I, I started to see it through other people's, other people's eyes and you see people walk through the doors and are just overwhelmed and in awe and I, I've heard a hundred times I've heard people say the like a kid in a candy store type of thing but I've heard so much more um, I just pulled up the testimonials on our website and uh, one person they wrote I literally wept when I found you all here in New York and that you could produce something so beautiful for a client who is based overseas to find a company and people as dedicated to creating beauty as we are and still manufacturing that beauty in New York was overwhelming. There, there's a whole bunch more uh, on our website, customfabricflowers.com. I, I don't need to read all of them, but like my dad had this book and when people would say something profound like that, he would be like, you got to write that down. You got to write that down. And uh, that's, so much of the attitude and belief I have towards who we are and what we are comes from from that. I, I can think whatever I want, but hearing it reinforced from other people is what truly makes us just appreciate how lucky we are. And I don't just mean me, but like the entire team. I mean, what's kind of what's an outstanding feature of one of your flowers? Well, there's two angles I can answer that. One is the the flower presses are just irreplaceable. Uh, yes, you could take a scissor and cut out flower shapes. It would be really, really slow. And unless you're good at it, it may not be very nice. But the presses allow us to emboss limitless amounts of different texture into the flowers to create them. So they are really a, a unique uh, facet of our business and like at the core of the business. But uh, the best thing is the materials. If you pick a let's go with a rose because it's so classic you take a rose and you made it make it in a red silk that's one thing in and of itself whether it's on a long stem or a brooch pin or for a hat if you take that same flower and make it in red velvet it's a completely different product if you want to take that a step further if you take that same flower and make it out of your daughter's your daughter's I don't know. In my case, we, we once took my daughter's clothing that she's almost three years old and uh, we have boxes of stuff that doesn't fit her anymore. And we, I took a bunch of it to the city and I made a bunch of little flowers into like this tiny bouquet that she'll have hopefully forever. The flower styles were all 
you know, dahlias, roses, things we've made forever. But the fabric, it, it's all about the fabric. We, we worked with this guy, Tom. His name is Tom. His company's name is Eagles and Angels. He's a retired uh, soldier and he's a veteran. And he sends us uniforms to make flowers. He, he does other things too, but our relationship is flowers. And he'll take a uniform of a soldier that's still alive, the Eagles, or someone who's deceased, the Angels, will make a, a lot, you know, 10, 15 flowers, whatever we can get flowers out of it. And he sells it on his website with a backstory of who wore it. He sells, uh, he donates a large amount to veteran causes and charities. So like he's doing good work. In many cases, what we do for him are just carnations. It's not about the, the shape or the, it's about the, the fabric. It's about the story. It's about being able to take that and give it new life, uh, a way to honor the soldier who who wore the uniform, uh, taking somebody's dress, your grandmother's wedding dress, and making flowers out of it. it. It's it's so much more than the shape of the flowers. It's the story of where this material came from and what it's what it's been through, and that's not lost on any of the team. We we uh, we know we need big orders just to keep the, the lights on and everything, but in terms of passion and just loving what we do, there's something really special about that. The outstanding feature is creating memories. Yeah, the customization, the hands-on ap- approach. You can literally, you can come up to our place, you can bring a garment that's important to you, and you can... We'll, we're not going to like keep you at, at an arm's length. You can really get in on it while it's happening and, and have as much control over the end result as you want. I mean, that's a very specialized service that you offer. Oh, yeah. Do you consider your, I mean, do you think of yourselves as a fashion company? No. This is the leading question. We're, we're a manufacturer. Uh, at our core, we're a manufacturer. big part of what we do is for fashion. We exist in the fashion world, but we don't, I don't think so. No, I ask because I often think of, I don't often think of luxury as being fashion because fashion is fleeting, you know, comes and goes and luxury, I don't believe does. That's a perspective thing because there's plenty of people that exactly. that associate fashion and luxury as one and one, on, one and one. And to such a person, I think the true definition of luxury is being able to buy something that may be very expensive knowing that it has no lasting value because in in a year or two years it may not be the hip thing anymore and then just being able to buy another one yeah but that's not luxury is it unless that's not the luxury that i want no unless luxury is having being able to do that being able to use something one season, spend, I don't know, $20,000 on it, and then think, oh, well, actual fact, next season I'm going to get a new one because it's a new color. So the luxury might be in the, um, in the exchange. You know, it's like For this sure. constant. Well, the, the, the ability to do that. Luxury is definitely an eye of the beholder thing, something that is yeah. a luxury to, to me may not have any value to you, and vice versa. And then there's plenty of things that people 
think are important that I might think I might not think is important. Luxury today, it's to so many people, is not having something nice. It's having something nice that you don't have and letting you know about it. You know, everybody who yeah. goes on a nice vacation, they don't just go. <laughs> they go, but they have to post pictures on social media so that everyone else who's not on vacation can see. And only then does it make it truly worthwhile. And uh, I like to think that I'm a little different with that in, in that I I would love to go to like a, a beautiful island or something and you'd never hear from me again. <laughs> People think about luxury being defined through money, whereas I don't think that luxury is necessarily defined through money. And that's I suppose the conversation we having because the work that you do is very much focused around this idea of craftsmanship and making and materials as you've said and it's not always focused on the bottom line you know which is about hundreds of thousands of dollars for something um that is you know crafted well that so two things i just thought of uh you said before luxury the definition is like things that you don't need, you know, beyond the food, the shelter and, and whatnot. Yeah. And I feel like luxury is not about how much more you have, but how much you appreciate the things that you do have being, being grateful for these things and not needing to, because if you're always wanting more and more, you're never going to be satisfied. And then just in terms of our, our motivation as a business, uh, what you said is true. I mean, we're, we're the, it's work. We're there to make money. Our staff all wants to make money. That's, I would be, you know, I'd be fully, you know, what if I'm saying that's not the case, but I could tell you that there's more to it than that. So much so that there were times when the business needed financial help and my, my grandparents, my dad would put good money back into it just to keep it going. My dad hasn't worked in four to five years. And the last bunch of years that he did work, he rarely drew a paycheck. Uh, so that, your evidence is right there. The man was coming to work because he genuinely liked it. He liked being the flower man. He liked the, the schmoozing and talking to people. He liked creating beauty. And yeah, he wants to see the business succeed. And, and to succeed in business means to, at very least, break even and ideally make money, but there is so much more to it. I, I told you my, my personal experience when I was younger, go, go, going to work on a Monday was a bummer. And I, you know, everybody hates Mondays like, like Garfield, that cartoon. Uh, and I've completely changed on that where I, I love my life outside of work and I love my life at work. And I, that to me, that is, the greatest luxury of all to to just be happy with with life that's a different kind of luxury well what i'm learning from this conversation is that there are infinite different interpretations and types of luxury no and i think that's the point is that you know luxury is one thing to one person and another thing to another i you, you just had me think about do you think about like some some tribe in like Africa that we would typically consider to be poor and impoverished. And they're all, uh, I'm just picturing, they're all around like a, a fire or something. 
Uh, they, they sleep in huts or tents or something. They maybe don't have the best plumbing, but there's a moment in time where they're all there. Their bellies are full. They're with their family and they're happy. And that, that's luxury. They, their happiness at that moment is every, re, every bit as real as my happiness on the beach as your happiness doing what you love. Everybody's definition of luxury is going to be different. And, you know, that might be, you know, one context. Another context might be this person rushing into, uh, I'll say, Louis Vuitton and spending um, $2,000 on a, on a purse that's been made by a lady in a sweatshop. Right. Or it might be, um, you know, somebody going to Hermes and buying a $20,000 handbag that's reportedly or purportedly made by hand in their workshop in an atelier in Paris. Or they could be going to Lesage and getting some embroidery done by the company that's um, owned now by Chanel. Or they could be coming to you and buying a $60 um, flower that's made in the same way as the Lesage flower and is only $60. Sure. Those are the scales. You know, those are the scales. And that's why these conversations are really interesting because it's so different in the way that it is presented to the customer. So I'm fascinated. What made you interested in not just luxury, but these unique takes on luxury? Because it pisses me off that somebody will charge $10,000 for a handbag that doesn't need to be charged at $10,000 where they're exploiting a workforce um, in order to profit. I'm very much about preserving the craft of a maker who understands materials, who learns from the people around them, who's inquisitive and who appreciates, you know, that their work is important, but also that the customer or the person looking at it appreciates the amount of skill that it takes to produce whatever it is they're producing. I, I'm interested in why people buy things. Um, it's greed. That everything you just kind of <laughs> talked about, the, the whole reason the garment district left is, is greed. It's because these companies found out that like, we'll use flour, for example, like, hey, you're telling me I don't have to pay $2 for flour, I could get it for a nickel, and it's going to be kind of basically the same, you know, like close enough, like, all right, do that. I don't care where it came from. And I... I that's everything that I've heard and that's everything that I believe that it just comes down to people weren't really worried about where it came from, who made it, what happened, what adverse effects it has on our world. They just want what they want. Yeah. And, it, you know, it, I, I suppose what annoys me is that, you know, what I was saying earlier is that people don't pay attention. They are, pay, pay, they are consumed by branding. It doesn't matter where in the world you go, you know, whether it's for a luxury brand, whether it's for a soft drink, whether it's for well, advertising shipping company. Everywhere. Everything. Everywhere. Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's, I, I really, really don't like it. I've always yeah. disliked it very, very much. Everywhere you go. And, and also not just the advertising, but one of my pet peeves are companies, you know, big corporate companies who've, how do I articulate this, like have been, they've been bankrupted. 
or gotten into trouble and been bailed out by taxpayers and yet still own these things and kind of hold them over us. And it just, it kind of sucks that we live in this world that's dominated by these giant companies and that everywhere you look, you're being sold something. I don't mind the advertising so much. I don't like the dishonesty. Yeah, well, so so many of these things are just garbage. And if they were honest and told you like, hey, this, buy this, it kind of sucks. I don't know that that would be as good of a marketing scheme. Bu- buy this. We tortured people to make it. I hope you like it. Well, maybe that's something we should try. Yeah, I don't, I don't think that would be a good marketing slogan. I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know if anything has changed, so I don't want to like be incorrect with this, but I remember all the terrible stuff that came out with Nike and sweatshops many years ago. And I don't, yeah. know, if, I don't know if they're better now. I, I have no idea, but I know that sneakers are a very popular business and all those Air Jordans and different, you know, I, it's not a world that I live in, so I don't really know it. But they're still pumping out sneakers, Nike, and they're still selling them and I don't know where they're coming from and it kind of disturbs me that something like that can come out and most people are like yeah that's that sucks all right I'll buy them anyway people just want more and more and more stuff even though they don't need it I mean it's also fashion companies you know uh, fashion companies just really bullshitting about their sustainable credentials saying oh no but we source this from this and this has been used before and this is recycled and this is this and this is the other when in actual fact the very nature of fashion is that it's not sustainable no are you familiar are you familiar with carbon offsets yeah so I, I I'm not an expert in this at all but I learned about it and it's (laughs) it's like it's just so frustrating that companies can donate so you can like you can have a factory that you have smokestacks and you're producing this much pollution but if you donate a million dollars to the whatever agricultural fund the agricultural fund might claim to plant a thousand trees which blah 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 carbon and it allows you to create it allows you to technically make those claims of carbon neutral and it's all bullshit it it, yeah it's just another way that companies can just use money to hide the fact that they're still doing crappy stuff yeah yeah and that's i think that's just the nature of the world yeah that's why you have to find that's why the real luxury is to be able to turn it all off, if even for a minute, and enjoy what's in front of you and around you. That's a perfect place to end. <laughs> but before we do, um, I want to ask you what your luxury is. My luxury is my life today. I uh, This podcast is not about me, so I don't need to get into the ups and downs of where I've been, but I've had my struggles. Uh, one of which culminated in a cancer diagnosis about eight years ago. Maybe it was nine years ago. Um, and there was other, there's other stuff. I've been through stuff and I've persevered and I'm here talking to you right now in my own home with my, my beautiful daughter, Skylar, sleeping upstairs. Uh, my, my wife, Barry, is, is pregnant with 
baby number two. And uh, we're hoping we're hoping to welcome her in the next few weeks. I, I have healthy mom and dad. And my luxury is that. My luxury is that I'm able to enjoy life. I think I do a pretty good job of keeping a positive attitude. It's that I don't get too caught up in the nonsense. Uh, and I'm happy. I think being happy is one of the ultimate luxuries. Being healthy, able to enjoy life, and uh, not getting caught up in things you can't control just one day at a time. That's a brilliant luxury, being happy. Amen. Adam Brand, thank you so much for joining us. This is going to be a very interesting edit. A pleasure. Thank you, Sean. Adam, thank you so much for joining us. And thank you to our partners, Intellect Books. And of course, thank you for listening. And don't forget, you can listen to all previous episodes of the In Pursuit of Luxury podcast on your favorite listening channel.